and welcome to another Joshi 2010s episode. It's episode 28 as we journey out of the dark ages in Joshi wrestling. Yes, it's the Redley Frederickcast. Welcome to hopefully you're listening to this on the Patreon where you can help support us and bring about the journey that you're listening to now. If you're listening over on the Big Egg Joshi podcast, consider subscribing. And getting all of our content, including JD Star reviews, LLPW reviews, and various other things we like putting on there, especially on the $5 tier, including a lot of statistics and articles that we like writing. <clears throat> a lot of women's wrestling content. It's patreon.com slash redleafretrocast. Now, got a very special episode today. I've been really looking forward to this one. Yes, it is I, it is JD, going solo today. It is... Stardom X Stardom 2011, the Nanai Takahashi 15th anniversary show from July 24th, 2011. It is World Wonder Ring Stardom, first ever Corican Hall. A announced attendance of 1,310, which is very ambitious for the young company. And if we look back, our first episode that we covered in the, in the on this journey was the uh it was it was kind of a conglomeration show from January 23rd their very first show to uh the beginning of April called it the birth to debut series you can go back and listen to that episode where we kind of broke down uh, Kay and myself uh various wrestlers in the promotion what we're seeing and who they're obviously positioning as people to pay attention to uh, young wrestlers like Mayu Itani, Arisa Hoshiki, uh, and company. Those those people, you have your uh, people that they want to elevate into kind of their own projects. That's Yoshiko, Yoko Bito, Yuzuki Aikawa. Those three names really stand out. And you got your veterans at the top, your Natsuki Tayo and Nanai Takahashi. And already we saw immediately Hatman, Rossi Ogawa, already booking foreigners. Uh, to kind of fill out his cards, because the stardom roster right now is quite small. And we cut to seven months later, they're already running Cork and Hall. Something, if you look at uh, various message boards and uh, a couple magazines, uh, namely Shupro, there was discussion that stardom was kind of regarded as being crazy uh, for being such a young company, a Joshi company at that running Corrigan Hall this early. And funny enough, on my LLPW reviews, yes, in the early 90s when LLPW first started, they took a long time just to get like the promotion going. And even on their first two shows, they didn't. it took a long time for them to get out of Corrigan, but they were only running essentially once a month. And it was a slow depletion over time for the promotion because it was a small roster, and I, I could see some similarities going through Stardom and LLPW, at least from the journey perspective I, I myself is on on the on the Patreon there. And the difference is LLPW already had a lot of seasoned wrestlers uh, a couple of years, two, three years in, and uh, some star power of note with Shinobu Kandori, Rumi Kazuma, to name a couple. Stardom didn't have that. The Naitakahashi... A veteran, yes, but not any sort of draw drawing star. We covered her in 2010 where she showed up at JWP and <laughs> for 
drawing even small crowds at that note, you could visibly see smaller crowds in that summer months when she had that title getting smaller and they took it off her pretty quick. Uh, could that also have something to do with stardom starting up? Yes, you, you can you can kind of speculate and uh, assume maybe that had something to do with it as well. But regardless, here we are in July of 2011. It's it's Nanai's 15th anniversary show. Stardom's running Corken Hall. And across this card, there were three title matches. There was a tournament for the World of Stardom title, which is going to be considered the top title, the main event, uh, in which there's a, a mini tournament. And then the Wonder of Stardom title, we'll get into that in a second, was also created, the White Belt. So immediately, Rossi Ogawa is taking a note out of all Japan women's playbook with the red and white belt respectively there, the world and all Pacific title. Now, why exactly would he do that? Well, as Kay has spoken about uh, a few times at the very least, Rossi Ogawa was noted, or at least uh, the word is that he really wanted to make Yuzuki Aikawa the first champion of this promotion. And there, you could definitely tell that he was extremely high on her from the show's first show. She's immediately considered very special. She's immediately treated as a top star. She has mass appeal uh, from outside of wrestling, which is extremely hard to do for a, a well niche category. Let's face it, especially in Joshi wrestling in the early 2010s. And the way the story goes is Yuzuki Aikawa did not want the top title. She did not deem herself worthy, uh, and it would disrespect the sport of wrestling. And in a lot of ways, I can respect that. It's very Akira Hokuto-esque. And what I mean is Akira Hokuto, with her injured body, she didn't feel like she could have the responsibility and stamina to hold the top title. But the white belt, she could absolutely do that. And Yusuke Aikawa fell into that same mold. She can't be the top champion, but could she make a title of her own? Her own to represent what she wants to get across in professional wrestling. And I can respect that in a lot of ways. Uh, that takes that takes a big heart and a big mind to really step aside and not just have respect for what you're doing, but also have respect for a lot of the fellow wrestlers that work very hard to get to the top. Now, I'm definitely taking the side of one hat man and saying I would absolutely make the same decision and make Yuzuki Aikawa the first champion. Could there also be a really easy story to tell with Aikawa gunning for the world title? And that could be a little bit more interesting as well. Yeah, you could absolutely do that. Not that they ever get to that direction. So regardless, as you can guess where I'm going, Nanai Takahashi... One of the founders of the promotion with Rossi Agawa and Fuka, the one of the big trainers in the back. Uh, Nanai is going to end up winning this title, and that had its own blowback uh, a little bit, where, oh, it's just another founding veteran of the promotion where the promotion's, uh, uh, well, founder, uh, just simply wins the title. It's very uninspiring. And it doesn't uh, it doesn't create a lot of excitement going forward. 
But with the creation of the Wonder Title, that does. So there's there's at least some hope and f- future prospects regarding that. And then there was another title, surprisingly enough, that came from a uh, now closed promotion. It's called Neo. We covered its last show uh, on this podcast. It was one of our first episodes. I think it was our first episode. No, that was 2009, and then we covered the last one uh, as they closed out the year in 2010. So, in Neo, there was the Neo High Speed title. A cruiserweight title, if you will. Not exactly the same, but in concept the same. Smaller, smaller, faster wrestlers would generally challenge for this. And currently, as we've seen uh, covering some JWP shows in 2011, Leon used to be a double champion with the JWP Openweight title and the high-speed title, and she would defend uh, each title accordingly to her opponent, which was a really cool run. If you want to listen back to some of the JWP uh, Grand Prix episodes that we uh, just got done covering, including the Osaka Carnival a couple episodes ago, go back and listen to that. Leon has a hell of a run. And uh, I actually have something special I'd like to uh, share in a second here. So, Rossi Ogawa and Ice Ribbon wanted the high-speed title. This is my understanding of it. And there was a bit of a, almost a bidding war. Because Ice Ribbon wanted a secondary title. Uh, Excuse me, I gotta sneeze here. (laughs) Excuse me. Uh... Ice Ribbon won a secondary title and something unique. And Rossi Ogawa gets the idea, oh, well, I don't quite get along with the people working there, but uh, he essentially usurped and paid money uh, to get this title specifically. And what that ends up leading to is a match on this card in, uh, involving Leon, whom I also believe has ties to Rossi Ogawa from, I believe it's Arsian. Uh, specifically, I don't think there was much anything there I could find if there was any JWP connection. I don't think so. I think it was all through a little bit of RCN, so Leon is familiar with uh, Hatman a little bit there. All right, I'm pulling up uh, this fun little thing here. So before I get going on Stardom's first ever Corican, if you're f- if now you're familiar with our match ratings one to three star recommendation which is uh one mildly recommend uh two star is recommend and three stars highly recommend basically essential viewing well i went back and created a match guide sheet and in 2010 i went through all all through the notes uh for the podcast and everything i've i've written down uh for all the matches that got a star rating of some kind and kind of weighted it. I do this. I, I've been doing the same thing in 2022 here with uh, just match ratings in general. And if you recall, at the end of 2010, we did a little fun uh, wrestler of the year, matches of the year kind of thing. And I, I, I believe K picked um, Tsukasa Fujimoto and, uh, Oh, God, I can't I can't remember who else he had uh, as his wrestler of the year. I uh, went through like Aja Kong and Kaoru. I kind of stuck in a little bit of the Oz Academy. And once I was able to tally up all the match guide for 2010, uh, the top three wrestlers 
in terms of like, I guess, ring work and body of work and what we covered on our journey through that year. Number three was Yoshirai at 16 points. Yoshiko Tamura from Neo, whom when you think about it, yeah, we covered a lot of it. She was champion all year, uh, including tag champion. That made a lot of sense. 23 points. And then Ayumi Kurihara was actually the number one wrestler with uh, quite a just a, a good body of work overall. She was she was number one across the year. So good for her. That kind of makes sense to what we watched, what we covered. And uh, then there was a lot of uh, Oz Academy and a couple more freelance as you go go down this list. So where are we at in 2011? Uh, we're kind of at the halfway point of the year uh, now that um, we covered Oz Academy Gravity on the last show, uh, which took place, I believe, on the same day as the Stardom show. The current count of top three wrestlers is Hikaru Shida from Ice Ribbon at 10 points, um, Saki Owada at 14, which really makes sense, and then Leon is number one, uh, not shocking there, 17, Tag ta- tag, uh, tag League Run, the big J- J1 uh, Grand Prix. Uh, that we spoke about, and uh, she's uh, going to get more points on this show. Believe you me, and uh, I do have I do have my ratings for this Stardom show already in. So a little little fun there. Uh, if you want access to these to this little file, just kind of hit me up on Twitter. I'll post like a little screenshot and maybe even sh- share the guide itself with you. Uh, just let me know. I'd be happy to do that. It's a uh, it's a fun little thing I added. Uh, to doing this, uh, a lot of fun, like goofy color codings and whatnot. That takes care of that. So let's get into why exactly. Uh, oh, my speculation be- be- behind the Neo high speed title also being a thing is they wanted. So Natsuki Taya was never going to be kind of the main eventer. She's always in Nanai Takahashi's shadow. She's always second command kind of deal, whole passion red deal. And. To make her feel special and give her purpose in the promotion, the high-speed title was kind of necessary. Otherwise, she would be very directionless and not really a purpose, and we don't have any tag titles yet to really go for. We have three singles titles. Is that overkill? I'll leave that up to you. I think for the roster Stardom has, and what we're going to see, we're going to see Io Shirai come in pretty soon and really... Uh, elevates um, the talent pool, the promotion immediately as well. These three singles titles creates a lot of interest in making each of these three wrestlers that won them tonight on this night, uh, each special in their own way uh, for the title that represents them, essentially. Very unique to stardom in the scene already, and I got to applaud them for that one. The other thing is, without the tag titles, you you always know like a tag title set is coming in basically any wrestling promotion out there. It's going to happen because that those are the best titles usually to get mid carters over or to tell further stories involving multiple people gives multiple people more purpose, etc. It, it, it kind of speaks for itself on that part. <clears throat> so we do have that to look forward to as well. When the roster starts filling out, we get more Gaijin slash foreign talent in and perhaps more freelancers among the Joshi scene because they, they do exist. And the biggest question is, who is he, who is he going to bring in from the outside and who is he going to bring in from the freelance 
group in the Joshi scene because after the Arsian move and perhaps Fuka has a pipeline to various people as well, Nanai certainly knows a lot of people and has friends in high places. So we have a good core group behind Stardom with these titles immediately, only seven months into the promotion, that they were able to show the roster to people showing up, build up their wrestlers, and then culminate it kind of at this midsummer story. I like it. Because unlike Seedling, later, Sendai, not Ice Ribbon to an extent, they were pretty quick with getting titles. Wave took years. Marvelous just got titles recently in 2022. Whether what they do with them uh, remains to be seen going forward. But they, they, they exist for now. Stardom was not about to have a directionless promotion. Everyone needs something to fight for. Everyone needs a purpose. Everyone needs to feel fulfilled, essentially. So another move that I do agree with. These are all these are all necessary moves with the ambition to grow immediately instead of just putting on a show that's easy to watch, uh, fun, and without purpose, essentially. That's kind of my rundown over everything. Let's review some of these matches in this card because, like I said, 1,300 people are at Cork and Hall to see the crowning of champions. Let's see what they do. Uh, the f- opening match is Ars- Arisa Hoshiki and Mayu Iwatani taking on and defeating Ari Susa. Oh, boy. And Saki Kashima. Nine minutes, 44 seconds this went. Mayu and Arisa have matching denim shorts in which Mayu is so skinny that she keeps pulling them up all match. And yes, these these there's a lot of sloppiness in a lot of these matches on the card. And surprisingly enough, Saki Kashima was the kind of director of traffic uh, in this one, which when you like look back on it, Mayu and Ariso were very raw. Like Mayu especially was kind of terrible. <laughs> Ariso was a lot of kicks, but just would consistently get lost. And there's Saki Kashima coming in from the side, kind of putting people where they need to be. So Saki, even though she's not the most athletic or maybe the highest ceiling, at this current time, she is probably one of the better ones on the roster in that undercard of rookies, which is kind of funny to to think about. Uh, at, I believe the Mayu Arisa team name would go on to be called AMA, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, uh, after a kind of a buzzsaw kick and no, the Brazilian kick and Mayu hits a crossbody. Mayu wins, and I believe that's her first victory in stardom seven months into her career. Good for her. Now, the second match, I didn't realize, I should have I known, but I didn't realize this was on this card. It is the infamous, at this point in time, Kenny Omega versus the child match, Haruka. Goes to a three-minute draw, and it's as silly as it sounds it's kenny omega wrestling a child we saw something kind of similar when it was uh, kenny omega versus tayo but this one was straight up comedy it's kenny omega ddt at his best he's incredibly over animated 
He's he's a huge goofball. He's putting on a very comical villain uh, type persona. He's coming nowhere close to even like hitting this child or doing anything bad. It's all a performance. <clears throat> you could definitely see this as useless comedy. You could see this as tons of fun. I'll leave it up to you. Shouldn't I will ask the question, should it have been on this show and this card? Well, mm, no, I don't think so. Do you want to give Haruka this child a purpose on the roster? Come up with something else. This is not it. Now, the crowd, to be fair, did get a kind of a kick out of it. But funny don't equal money. And I think you could have done something a little bit more interesting with Kenny Omega on this card, even with a smaller roster. And this the child can be kind of slipped into maybe the opener, the opening tag in some way. Maybe whatever, whatever it might be. Or just don't have a child in the ring at all. That's another option. But the match uh, is very infamous because just tons of old wrestlers. This is what people make fun of Kenny Omega to this day for is a match like this. Uh, I don't hold anything against wrestlers trying to make a buck and being as safe as possible in this sort of situation. They're doing what's with, what's given to him and Kenny Omega embraces these kinds of things. So good on him. I believe Haruka like has three more matches and she retires <laughs> anyways. So who cares? First semi-final match for the World of Stardom title on this here card. <clears throat> it's Yoko Bito defeating Mika Nagano. And this match specifically uh, goes only 9 minutes, 10 seconds. So you get a decent amount of time. And that's always something that's important when you put on tournaments. I don't care if it's men's wrestling, women's wrestling. If you're going to do a tournament, your matches need to have a decent amount of time so you can tell the story in the ring that this is a serious matter. Because as soon as you start telling your audience that the matches don't really matter and you don't make them competitive, it brings down the tournament and the ultimate and the uh, ultimate finals that conclude in a winner. Could you have? Could you throw in a squash there at the right time? Uh, to really get blood pumping and someone over. Yes, you can absolutely do that, but you got to tell the story about that. You don't make them short nothing matches. You don't make them uh, like an AEW dark match, for example, where it's just they sign talent versus an indie scrub and they just squash each other. That does no one no good. So I liked, I liked, I, I, I did like the match layout here. Mika Nagano has a more Matt Grapp, uh, Matt Grapp's based game, and Yoko Bido, if you heard our, uh, other stardom review, Yoko Bito is more of a kick striker, very much Fuka based, uh, to say the least. Yoko Bito focuses on trying to kick the head off of Mika Nagano, and Nagano, her whole idea is to take her to the ground and exhaust Yoko Bito. This is kind of the story of the match. Is it pretty sloppy throughout? Absolutely. Uh, but you got to temper expectations because at this point in stardom, a lot of these wrestlers are extremely green in the ring. And they're going to develop at their pace uh, that they're able to do it. And we do see uh, a quick development, more or less, with some of these wrestlers. So the story ends in this match with Yoko Bido missing some kicks. Nagato trying. Maybe something gets away from her. And then all it takes is one kick to 
get knocked out and Nagano goes down. Yokobito is in the finals. And now this match is the first one I'm going to recommend. It is the semifinal match between Nanai Takahashi taking on and defeating the Gaijin Fly-In Mercedes Martinez. Yes, the Shimmer veteran, uh, a person with a well-known reputation on the indie scene in the United States. She's uh, now finally signed to AEW. It took a, took a long time for any sort of promotion to kind of recognize her, which is very surprising. When you see her work, she's extremely solid. She has a good, hard, tough look to her. I'm a big Mercedes, Marcina, uh, Mercedes Martinez uh, fan and proponent to what she's able to do in the ring from an era that just doesn't produce talent like her. Mercedes is definitely capable of a high-end match, and here, I don't think uh, Martinez, like, I think this is her only match in Japan in her career. I could be mistaken. I'm not going to look it up because that's less fun, (laughs) but I believe this is the only one, and the purpose of this match was not to screw around. They just go to blows, stiff each other. Uh, Mercedes has, the idea here is Mercedes has a reputation. She's a big, tough gaijin. She's coming in just for this title brings more importance to the title. Good booking again. Uh, there's a power bomb on the floor to take out Nanai. So here we go. We have the babyface hometown, or not hometown, home promotion woman now in peril. It's it's classic match layout booking. Uh, Martinez gets a few. I believe she hits a fisherman. No. Does Nene hit the fisherman buster? Sure. Why not? Mercedes hits a couple good moves for near falls. Nanai fights back. We'll go with her hitting the Fisherman Buster, and she does end up winning after 12 minutes in a hard-fought, simple match. I gave this a nice, easy one out of three. I don't think it reached any highs of highs. <clears throat> they just didn't have that time uh, to do something like that before a semifinal match, and you got to go do another one. I thought this accomplished exactly what it set out to do, and Mercedes really, uh, she really held her end of the bargain on this one, and she put. Uh, the big name over. Good job. Wonder of Stardom title. Here we go. It's Yashiko and Yuzuki Aikawa. I did spoil that Yuzuki Aikawa is the first champion uh, before I went into this. And I read and heard a few reviews over the show over some people that have covered this because it's an important show in Stardom's history that it sure seemed to a lot of these reviewers that Yoshiko was primed uh, to win the first title. She was a little bit more experienced. She was a little bit more uh, fluid in the ring, got a little bit better, and thought the and she played a little bit of a heel role. Not to mention she was Nanai Takahashi's kind of picked student. So there was a lot of things going for her, but Yuzuki Kawa was the Booker Man's project, Hatman's project, and she was and is the bigger star. Yuzuki Kawa is clearly the biggest star in this promotion from the get go. And Yoshiko's job in this match, as she did, was to be the heel and have Yuzuki Kawa fight with her heart back with tons and tons of spinning kicks over and over and over again until she was finally able to thud one and crack in her head and put her away. Uh, the crowd reacts accordingly to Aikawa getting this title, and that in itself with the crowd reaction, how the crowd got behind this. This was another booking success, and uh, very much so. As soon as she wins the title, she poses with it in in various uh, gravure gravure ways. 
poses with the title, has the trophy, and this will be a theme and obviously a selling point uh, for stardom for years to come. And this is one. This becomes one of their ways to make a lot more money and continuing to be able to book venues like Corican going forward. There is this is something like uh, a JD Star type move would make absolutely. Uh, and it's a nice little match. I gave it two out of three star recommendation. I'm really high on Yuzuki Aikawa. She is a star. She's treated special. She's very unique, and they're not wasting any time with her. I like this. The next match is for the high-speed title. It's Natsuki Tayo defeating Leon. The Neo high-speed title is now, and it's still in stardom to this day. It's the longest match on the show by far. It is 21 minutes and 41 seconds, and it's hands down one of the best matches I've seen in this 2011 year of Joshi. Leon has been on a tear in 2011. It's definitely her breakout year, finally. And the amount of just speed and high-end moves that they were doing. Natsuki Tayo's doing springboard back moonsaults. Leon's doing uh, a bunch of Germans and leaping off and springboarding herself. There's a lot to like here. There's a heavy pace to it. It's, it's exactly what, when I say cruiserweight, high speed. Uh, even there's even some good technical work with Leon going to uh, a Boston Crab that completely bends Tayo in half. There's a lot to like here, and I think what this match gets most famous for is Leon does her spider German suplex from the top. <clears throat> Brutal. You 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 almost think Tayo was going to backflip and land on her feet out of it, and then you know, run up and do a German herself. Instead, she just straight takes this German. Brutal. Folds her in half, and she immediately grabs her face. And her eye is extremely swollen, and I knew exactly what this was as soon as I saw it. She detached her retina, basically. she Her eyeball came out of her socket, because it was popped out. And she continued the match for another few minutes after that, and after a hell of a fight and a lot of speed, Natsuki Tayo wins this title, and her face is a mess. The eye is out, and I'm wondering <clears throat> how often we see Tayo, or does uh, does she take a uh, quite some time off to to get her eye back in her head? <laughs> it's 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 a wild sight. Um, this show is not on Stardom this world. Uh, to my knowledge, you have to kind of seek, to, but you can you can find this in in various places. It's a very good match. I gave it three out of three stars. High recommendation, essential viewing for Stardom and uh, twenty eleven. <clears throat> and in the finals, it's the young upstart rookie Yoko Bito with a lot of good size against Nanai Takahashi on her fifteenth anniversary, gunning for the title. Nice little simple story here, Yoko Bito. Uh, has gotten wins on house shows and she's gunning for the title. She got away with beating Nagano. Uh, could there have been a scenario where you, you might throw in, I don't know, could you have thrown in Mayu Yutani in the tournament? Eh, yeah, sure. Not really necessary, though. They've already like established the pecking order on, on the various shows leading up to this across the seven months. So here we are, Yoko Bito and Nanai, and this was a stiff fight. This was pretty damn good. 
I I know I like to kind of make fun of Nanai and give her a hard time with uh, her booking and her attitude. We'll get to a lot of that later. There's a, there's enough time for that one. Uh, but in this time frame, with the start of stardom, Nanai has been doing a good job trying to build this talent around her and get them better. Because the better they look, the better she can look in the ring. So there's a lot... there. There's a good incentive out there. So the faster Beto gets better, the more money any everyone can make, and the the, the better Nanai can can do, and you'll get more people in the building and make more money. There, there, there's a business reason for a lot of this as well. So from from a match perspective, <clears throat> they they went in a little tired, especially Beto. Nanai just had a huge fight with the big scary Gaijin. <laughs> and what ended up happening was Beto actually controlled a lot of the action. She had a slightly easier opponent. Uh, it didn't... Eh, they kind of last lasted nearly the same amount of time, but Beto didn't take as much damage as Nanai. So they created a scenario where you could reasonably believe that Beto had a chance of winning, and Nanai had to fight back to not let the upstart defeat her. Uh, they did a really good near fall when uh, Yoko Beto hit the Beto driver, and a few kicks to the head, and Nanai fights out, fighting spirit style, and uh, after she fights through all this, she ducks one more kick, and then just totally dumps Yoko Bito right on her head and neck uh, to set up the finish, and Nanai is your very first champion for stardom. <clears throat> Again, I already spoke about you know what this means. Uh, wasn't Nanai the right person? Could they have done more? There was a there there. I don't want to use the word politics in the situation. It was it was kind of agreements and scenarios in which they can make everyone uh, make it work out for everyone involved. So, Wonder Title Champion, Yusuke Aikawa, Neo High Speed Champion Natsuki Taio, and World of Started Champion Nanai Takahashi, with a young core of Arisa, Mayu, Yokobito, Yoshiko. And various guidance you can bring in. I think Stardom is off to a good start for how they were able to amass this very small roster. And now it's up to Rossi Ogawa, the booker, to continue getting talent in, keeping the roster fresh, making these titles continue to seem important. We have the champions in play. They did a good job to get it there. And we got to finish out 2011 with stardom with uh, consistent booking and fresh matchups. That's very important to establish this. And I didn't look this up on purpose because there, there is a purpose to me not having complete and total knowledge of the situation. I'm looking for a lot of context as things happen. When do those goddess titles come into play for the first time? Uh, is it just a random show that is just like hey we're doing a tournament tag titles here are here or are they going to build up to it with saying hey tag titles are coming form tag teams and could they do a similar uh established movement like they did the first seven months where you can get a pecking order feel and then you can announce i'd like to i'd like to see this context play out in real time as I don't go back through cage match and look at the very beginning origins of the tag titles. I don't remember that off the top of my head, and I'm kind of happy about that. So a lot happened on the show. I officially declare Stardom's first trip to Cork and Hall a great success. 
Uh, I can't say LLPW was as successful in this, uh, even as I speak, going through the LLPW journey, and they're about to start the uh, official crossover show between All Japan Women. LLPW still doesn't have any titles. They're just running shows for the sake of running shows. Is there some value in crossover with FMW and a couple AJW matches coming in? Sure, yeah. But the roster lacks direction, and I'm definitely feeling it. While Stardom, they... Now, to be fair, (laughs) I'm not quite seven months in with LOPW yet, while now we're seven months in with Stardom, and we finally got the purpose. So, when I get to seven months, eight, nine with LOPW... Now I have something to directly compare to with a young promotion starting out with uh, a similar sized roster, but definitely not the same skill level. Something to be of interest there. Uh, The next episode of the Joshi 2010s journey takes us back to JWP, which will be covering uh, Pure Slam 2011. Uh, It features an open weight title match. Uh, between Haley Hatred and uh, I forget who she's facing. I, um, oh, uh, Yoniyama. Kaori Yoniyama. I believe that's the matchup. And to my knowledge, uh, it's also at Corican Hall. And I think they draw a pretty, a pretty good crowd on top of that. I look forward to covering that one. Hopefully, Kay will be back with me for that. We can continue on this journey having a good time. Guys, I'll see you next time.